Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Perhaps you have heard of John the Baptist. Let me tell you about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin. He was six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist was kind of strange. He'd be out living in the desert. He wore a camel's hair for clothing. He ate locusts and wild honey. But when people went out to hear John the Baptist preach, they sensed this man was connected to God. John the Baptist was the forerunner prophesied in the Old Testament who would show up right before Christ would. John the Baptist was not a people pleaser. He was very blunt and he would say things like, you bunch of snakes. John the Baptist was eventually beheaded when he told King Herod, you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife. John the Baptist preached hellfire three times in this lesson we're going to look at today, he, he mentions hellfire. John the Baptist preached repentance and forgiveness. We are privileged to have a written down sermon from John the Baptist. If you, uh, would you open your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to see John the Baptist's main message. His main message is repent. In the New Testament Greek, literally, the word repent means to change your mind. That's the beginning, but repentance is a lot more. So let's learn from John the Baptist, what is repentance? And I want you to ask yourself, have I reached it? Have I reached repentance in my life? Turn, if you would again, Luke chapter 3, and let's pray first. Father, we pray now your Holy Spirit would speak to us and give us wisdom to know what it is to repent, but even more than that, Give us the grace to actually do it. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. John the Baptist therefore began to say to the multitudes who were coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. The first thing to say about repentance, repentance is a fleeing. It's a smart thing to do. The, the analogy here is there's a, there's a grass fire and the snakes are getting out right in front of the fire out of the grass. It's smart to repent. Verse 8, Therefore bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. The next thing, repentance produces fruit. It changes you. Um, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. We are to be fruit inspectors, again, because repentance always does something. Look at verse 8. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. That's the next thing. Repentance does not rely upon externals. Let me tell you the heresy of the Pharisee. Back in Jesus' day, here was the heresy. 
Abraham is our great, 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 great grandfather. We're saved. I'm a Lutheran. Let me tell you the Lutheran heresy. I'm baptized. I'm confirmed. I'm saved. Let me tell you the Baptist heresy. I prayed the prayer and asked Jesus into my heart 30 years ago. I'm saved. And John the Baptist says, bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. This has got to be a real thing, not a head thing. Verse 9. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? Here's the next lesson. Repentance acts. It does something. This is a good question. The multitude doesn't say, What should we believe? They say, What do we need to do? Repentance acts. Repentance always does something. Now, let me say this about uh, repentance. Repentance is not mere conviction. I mean, it it was one thing for me to hear the alarm clock at 6 a.m. this morning. It's another thing for me to get up. (laughs) Being convicted is not repentance. I mean, I remember dealing with this uh, young couple that were living together outside of marriage, and I said, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says fornicators don't go to heaven. You need to repent of this. The young woman started crying. The guy wanted to get out of my office. Now, she was convicted of her sins, but did she repent? No, she kept living with them. So, repentance is not mere conviction. Also, repentance is not mere sorrow. Um, Muggsy, down at the state penitentiary, is real sorry he got foot caught with his fingers cracking the safe. Not sorry he did it, he's sorry he got caught. <laughs> repentance is not conviction or sorrow. I mean, here's a man who says, well, pastor, I periodically beat my wife, but I know I'm a Christian because afterwards I feel bad about it. Well, the atheist feels bad after he beats his wife. Conviction and, and sorrow is not repentance. Here's what repentance is. I'm a year and a half older than my brother Mark. He is, I'm six foot two, I think he's maybe six foot five. He's got a neck like this. Uh, He played football for Nebraska, (laughs) got a scholarship. In high school, he was really good at football, and I wasn't. And my friends would say, hey, Brock, how come you're so bad at football and your brother's so good? And so I I was jealous of my brother. And what I would do in high school, I'd mock him to his face just make him feel really dumb and stupid. Then I went to college. I got into Bible study, started taking my faith more seriously. And I felt conviction for the way I had treated my brother. And I felt sorry for the way I treated my brother. But I didn't repent until I went home to Omaha, got him alone and say, Mark, the way I have mocked you through the years and made fun of you, you're not stupid. That was me being evil. Will you please forgive me? Repentance is some, you always do something when you repent. Verse 11. And John the Baptist would say to the crowd, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. Here's the next definition of repentance. Repentance is action toward the poor, toward the needy here. Do you ever help the poor? Do you ever help the needy? If you don't, have you reached repentance? Uh, Look at verse 12. 
And some of the tax gatherers also came to be baptized, and they said to John the Baptist, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. Next definition of repentance, repentance is action toward your job. Do you do your job faithfully? Do you do it with integrity? Has repentance touched your workplace? Huh. I'll tell you what I thought of. One of my first jobs, and I was, when I was in college, I became a youth director at a Presbyterian church. I think I was paid for about maybe 15 hours a week, but I learned I could do the job much less time. And so I did it for, I think, a few months, and then I started feeling guilty. And I had to get on the agenda for the elder meeting, and I went into the elders and said, look, you're paying me this much. I'm only putting in this, this many hours. I think I need to give you some money. <laughs> so um, repentance touches your job. And also look at verse 14. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Next thing, repentance is action towards your attitude. Are you content? You know, maybe you're a mom and you don't get paid anything and you do all this work. Well, are you content being a mom? Maybe you've got a job and they don't pay you like they should. Okay, um, I don't think it's wrong to ask for a raise. I don't think it's wrong to ask for appreciation. But generally, are you content with your wages? I mean. You compare America to the rest of to the third world. We're all millionaires over here. So work to be content with your wages. All right, let's sum all this up so far. What is repentance according to John the Baptist? It's smart. It's a fleeing. It has fruit. It does not rely on externals, who your grandparents are. It is a good thing that you always do something. It's not mere conviction, it's not mere sorrow, but it's action. Are you uh, repentant toward the poor, toward your job, toward your attitude? All right, that's what repentance is. Now for what the big part is. Look at verse 15. While the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John the Baptist as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, Jesus, is coming, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. That's the big definition. Real repentance is a turning to Christ. You turn away from evil, but then you turn toward Christ. And we, according to that verse, we come to Christ for two things. Number one, we come to Christ for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can't repent on my own. I'm too weak. I'm too sinful. The only way I'm going to repent is if the Holy Spirit comes into my heart and changes me. So I come to Christ for the Holy Spirit. But then the second thing we come to Christ for is salvation from fire, according to that verse. Hellfire, third time in this text. You know, sometimes people say, well, pastor, do we have to hear about hell every Sunday? And the answer is no, but you better hear about it periodically. You'd be surprised how many pastors don't believe in hell anymore. I have a friend who was uh, working with seminarians from, I think, a Lutheran and a Baptist seminary and a United Church of Christ, a liberal seminary, and I think maybe a Catholic seminary, all these seminarians. 
he and his friend were the only two in the group that believed in hell. And one day he said to the group, you know, you say you're Christians, you're going to be Christian pastors. Jesus talked about hell. Was he wrong and you're right? Story of many years ago, a Scottish preacher was walking up the hill to go preach. He had some extra time before the service started and he sees this big glass factory on his way so he just steps inside the door for a moment to, to look inside and when he steps inside the big furnace door was opened and the heat hit him in the face and he jumped back and said Hootman what hell must be like well he went up and to the church and later that week he got a knock on his office door and the man said, sir, you don't know me, but I work at the glass factory. I stoke the fire. You didn't see me, but I heard you say, what hell must be like? And every day this week, whenever I would open that door, I would hear those words. And he said, I don't want to go to hell. How can I be saved? And the pastor told him about Christ's death and resurrection for all who believe in him. <laughs> There's a hell. But the biggest message from John the Baptist is, we're going to have a savior from hell. He's going to show up right after John the Baptist dies. So um, look at verse 18. So with many other exhortations, John the Baptist preached the good news for the people. You might think, good news? He's talking about hellfire three times. Where's the good news in this? Well, look at verse 17. He's going to gather his wheat into the barn. That's salvation. The distinctive thing about Christianity is not hell. Muslims believe in hell. The distinctive thing about Christianity is not the Ten Commandments. Jews and Muslims and Hindus even have a version of the Ten Commandments. There's one thing that is different about Christianity. We have a savior. Years ago, a Brahmin in India went up to a Christian missionary in India and said, I'm a Hindu, but I've been studying the Christian religion, and there are many similarities between Hinduism and Christianity, but there's one thing you Christians have that we don't have in Hinduism. And the missionary said, what's that? And he said, you have a savior. The good news amidst John the Baptist's bad news is a savior's coming. And then John the Baptist is beheaded and then Jesus takes over and begins his ministry of saving people. I want to close with reading you this. Four years after the Titanic sunk, a young Scotsman stood up at a meeting house in Hamilton, Canada and said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar on that awful night, the tide brought a Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? I said, no, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but strange to say, they brought them, him next even a little nearer. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
Shortly afterwards, he went down. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. The distinctive thing about Christianity, we've got a Savior from hell. Have you come to Christ and let him forgive your sins and save you what's, from what's coming to many people? We have a Savior. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. In light of this sermon today, Pastor Brock, my first question is, how do Hindus believe people are saved? Hinduism, they believe in thousands of gods, and they believe in what's called karma, which is basically good works, and they believe in reincarnation, that if you aren't good enough when you die, you have to come back to earth and become good enough. You might become a cow. You might become a human again. But there's all kinds of... And once you've gone through enough incarnations and have rid yourself of enough bad karma, you're absorbed into nirvana, their form of heaven. But it's kind of like you become nothing. That's Hinduism. Okay, well, let's talk about Muslims and Buddhists. Mm -hmm. Do they believe that we're safe? Okay. Muslims do believe in heaven and hell, so they know they need to be saved. But they're, again, kind of a good works religion. If you're good enough, you'll get into heaven. Buddhism is kind of different. You can be an atheist and be a Buddhist, because Buddhism is more a philosophy of life. It's, it's how to get rid of suffering, human suffering. So it's kind of in a different category. I don't think they believe in heaven and hell. It's more how to get rid of suffering in this life. They don't believe in Jesus either. No, none, none of those religions. I mean, uh, uh, Muslims will say they believe in Jesus, but he's basically a good prophet. Oh, yeah. okay. Do you believe that hellfire is symbolic or is it literal? The Bible talks about uh, the lake of fire mm -hmm. and people going there. And th we get that question, is that to be taken literally or symbolically? And my response is, either way, I don't want to go there. Jesus said in Matthew 25, hell is a place of eternal punishment. Whether that's spiritual fire or literal fire, it's, it's a place of horror. So uh, I think the Lord knows the answer to that question. Either way, you don't want to go there. It's conscious, eternal punishment. So Pastor Tom, shouldn't we be mainly preaching the love of God instead of scaring people with hell? You know, I get that because I preach on hell periodically. Yeah, and I think, I think we do both, Jackie. Jesus preached the love of God and Jesus preached hell. The apostles preached the love of God and the apostles preached hell. You do both uh, if we're going to be New Testament Christians. Well, are there churches that no longer believe in hell then? Uh, well, <laughs> the denominations that have gone liberal a lot of the pastors in those churches don't believe in hell anymore. Uh, and I'll t the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church USA, the ELCA Lutheran Church, PCUSA Presbyterian Church, United Methodist Church, Disciples of Christ. There are pastors in those churches that definitely believe in hell. And there are pastors and bishops in those churches that don't. We've talked about this many times. The head bishop of the ELCA Lutheran Church was asked by a Chicago newspaper, is there a hell? She said, there may be, but I think it's empty. 
her view is everybody's going to make it out of hell into heaven. And so, uh, sadly, I mean, the, the Lutheran Church has always believed in hell. But now we have people who think they are more enlightened than the scriptures. Hmm. So, how did John the Baptist die? John the Baptist told King Herod that it was a sin for him to be sleeping with his brother's wife. She got angry at that, and at the f first chance, when Salome danced, you can read this in, what is it, Luke chapter 3, wherever. It's in the uh, Salome, her daughter, danced in front of Herod, and Herod said, I'll give you whatever half you want of, of my kingdom. And her mother said, tell him we want John the Baptist's head on a plate. So the king didn't want to do it because he feared John the Baptist. He knew he was a holy man. But to please his wife, and because he gave him his, her his word, he cut off John the Baptist's head, mainly for preaching that you need to repent of your sin. If a person doesn't see that good fruit in their life, does that mean that they haven't repented? Well, yeah, we talked in the sermon just now about John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. Yeah. The ax is late. And, and Jackie, we, we all still sin, even after we're converted to Christ. We all still sin in thought, word, and deed daily. But there's a difference between living in impenitent sin and sinning and repenting. I just got a phone call today from a, a younger pastor who, there's a woman in her, his church who's living with her boyfriend, and, and do I let them be, become members and take communion? I said, nope. You really got to put it to them. First Corinthians 6 says fornicators don't go to heaven. Jackie, if you fornicate and you repent, you're forgiven. If you're living in sin and there's no repentance, John the Baptist would say you're in trouble. Yeah. Okay. How does a person know if they have reached to repentance? Well, you know, it's, gratefully, it's not, we'll never have perfect repentance in our lives. But when you sin, are you sorry? Do you turn to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins through the blood of Christ? Even if you do it, you know, one, one question we get over and over. If I keep committing the same sin over and over, will God forgive me? And my, my answer is always, I sure hope so. Because hasn't everybody done a certain sin more than once or maybe even habitually? But, but there's a difference again between, if, if Jesus said, Peter said, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Uh, seven times a day? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. So if God's forgiving me that much, 70 times seven a day, uh, I have to forgive others. But again, there needs to be repentance, I'm sorry, and a turning from the sin, and you fight your sin. You don't live in it. And if you blow it, you ask for forgiveness, and you get back up, but you don't live in the mud puddle. You brush yourself off and move on. You know, Tom, that was my next question okay. for you, and you Oops. answered it right. without my even having to ask. <laughs> okay, good. So does a person need to go to a priest or a minister to repent and be forgiven? Okay. No. Now, it does say in, in John, uh, James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, Jackie, it's very healing to uh, confess your sins to a pastor or a priest, but... The Catholic Church teaches you have to confess your sins to a priest to be forgiven. And Luther said about James 5, strange priest, this one another. In other words, Jackie, if you have a, a mature Christian woman that you pray with, she can announce to you that your sins are forgiven. If somebody comes to me and, and they can say, Pastor, I need to confess my sins, and I can pronounce to them the absolution, through Christ your sins have been forgiven. So doing it to a pastor or a priest is fine, but you can do it with a regular Christian who just is a, a Karen for your soul. Yeah. Can you explain 
exactly what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and explain who truly is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. He is eternal with the Father and the Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. Jesus will come along and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Sp when you're baptized now, Jackie, in Christian baptism, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the help to repent because we can on our own. And so uh, now, so normally Holy Spirit baptism now is water baptism. Uh, there were a few, God can work outside the box. And in the book of Acts, sometime, what happened once anyway with Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people before they got water baptized because they started speaking in tongues. And Peter says, kind of surprised, well, who's to deny these people water to get water baptized? But I think the norm is you get water baptized and if you've never been baptized, go to a church and say, Pastor, I need to be baptized. And, and then Peter says in Acts, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I've pretty well exhausted my questions yes. that I had for you. <laughs> okay. But I think you have some questions that have come in we from have. people too. We have. And you know, Jackie, we're getting a lot of mail now <laughs> and uh, wonderful letters from all kinds of people. And I was told, I, I feel a little weird doing this, but I was told I need to read some of these sh uh, ones that praise our TV show. So let me do it, even though I feel weird. Pastor Brock, I always enjoy your excellent program. I appreciate your messages from the Bible. I had no idea of how bad things were in today's churches. Here's a, another lady that writes, your program is truly a blessing. So few pastors uh, preach the truth of the Bible to a lost and dying world. So we get lots of good. Response. Yeah. You know, it almost amazes me. I mean, the number of people who come up to me and say, I know who you are. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a blessing mm -hmm. to know that people are watching and they're this praying show, for and us. They're praying for yep. us and yep. everything. But, you know, who would have ever thought? <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing this show for 30 years and now we're national. And so, you know, what I want to ask you to do, if you would, at the end of this show, you'll see our website, pastorstudy.org. You can watch all of our TV shows for free at any time. If somebody you know needs to hear this message, just go to pastorstudy.org and, and type in or, or go th look through all the TV shows for the sermon on John the Baptist and pray about uh, our ministry, if you would. We've, we've received enough money that maybe we're going to be able to go into more cities. But if you'd like to help support us, pray for us. See the uh, address that's about to come up. But um, Jackie, we've been doing this show now 31 years, and we went more national about nine years ago. But uh, we just so appreciate. We we just have so many people that write us and support us and just pray for us. So I ask you to do the same. And, and Tom, it, it's amazing to me how many people come up to me and say. I just saw you on TV yeah. this morning, you know, <laughs> and the people from all over. Yeah. We have friends that live in Wisconsin, and she got a call from her sister who lives way up in Babbitt, Minnesota, and yep. she said she there. was ironing and heard this voice and recognized it being me. There you go. And I was talking to some priest. Jackie's famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to so. wrap it up, but God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.